Hello, this is Nilla Varman and you're listening to The Nilla Extract, the official show where I talk about pressing issues such as body acceptance, mental health, climate change, race and so much more, with some pretty cool music and some pretty cool guests too. Hello everyone, my name is Nilla Varman and welcome back to The Nilla Extract. Thank you so much for being here. My god, can you hear how crispy my voice sounds right now? Like a crispy katrika which means aubergine in Tamil, by the way. Why does my voice sound so clear, so sexy right now, you ask? You probably think, Nilo, you're back in the studio. And um, no, no, I'm not. Alas, the studio has been closed for the time being. But the reason for this crispiness is just because I cleaned my mic today. Now, as I keep emphasising, I do miss the feel of a chair on my bum. That happens to be the chair in the studio, but it's okay. It's okay. I'm just gonna hope we get back to the studio one day. Just, just have to wait. <laughs> How is everyone? Uh, I've had a pretty low week this week. Uh, it's probably, I think it's due to the change in weather or something. Probably has something to do with it. But uh, I mean, it suddenly went from my white friends breaking out their sunscreen, sun cream and uh, whatnots to bringing back their umbrellas. But yeah, things are looking up. I mean, the Golden Globes cheered me up a little bit. As everyone knows, I'm a bit of an award show junkie for no reason. It's probably because I'll now get there someday. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, something I found quite interesting to read this week was actually the re-examination of a, uh, a few of Dr. Seuss's books. Uh, the Cat in the Hat guy, the uh, No Green Eggs and Ham, Samayam man. And uh, it actually revealed his history of racism, which explains why six of his books were actually discontinued this year. Now, this, this guy commonly represented black individuals in his books as apes or barbarians, um, which actually sucks. I was never into Dr. Seuss growing up, but I'm clueless as to why this wasn't an issue earlier. I mean, he even drew racist cartoons during World War II, which he actually apologised for or something. But regardless, I mean, I mean, whatever. Changes change, and um, this is a good start. Now... Speaking of racism, we need to talk about Meghan Markle. We do. I I personally have a lot of respect for her and, and for Harry. I think um, it's really nice that they've just kind of separated their life, but they haven't really left. They're still leading a life of service. And, um, you know, I think they're really cool. But I have a lot of respect for them. Now, the upcoming interviews of Meghan and Harry with Oprah has yet again sparked a lot of controversy and race racial rhetoric, both online and within media. I mean, how coincidental is it that the palace is finally investigating certain bullying claims just as Meghan Markle and Harry's interview is set to air? I mean, where was this amount of attention when Prince Andrew was busy being a pedo and actually found evidence of it. Like, I, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way to now turn this all onto Meghan Markle too. <laughs> this literally screams the aggressive black woman trope to divert people atten- people's attention away from other things. And there's no denying that the overt and covert racism that Meghan has endured since she started dating Prince Harry and joined the royal family, it, I mean, it's there. And there's there's not, there's not many who will deny that this has anything to do with race. But I don't think a lot of people are paying attention. I mean, you, you should look at the comparison of the headlines, for example, that 
that are like often put in comparison to Kate's and a lot of the time they're just racist memes, imagery or like use of coded language so diva, sassy, uppity, bully, aggressive and whatnot. And I mean, I just look at the language and just, just unpick it and you'll find the racist foundations from which they come from. I remember seeing an article about Kate when she was pregnant for, I don't know which time, but it was like, pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby rump, brump, bump, while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave. And William confirms that she is due any minute now. Whereas Meghan, right, when she was pregnant, the headline was, why can't Meghan Markle keep her hands off her bump? Experts tackle the question that has got the nation talking. Is it pride, vanity, acting, or a new age bonding technique? Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Like, I put my hand on my tummy regardless of the day. Like, why is this? Ugh. But mind you, these are also both from the same tabloid. The worst one. The Daily Mail. Another example was like, Kate Middleton's homegrown bouquet of lilies for her wedding follows the royal code. Whereas for Meghan, right, when she got married, the headline was, how Meghan Markle's flowers may have put Princess Char Charlotte's life at risk. It's absolutely ridiculous. And uh, this one I found especially annoying, actually. It was talking about how the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge will spend this, you know, their second private Christmas with the Middleton family, rather than joining the Queen at Sandringham. What a romantic and special time. Whereas when Meghan Markle and Harry wanted to spend a Christmas privately with their newborn child, the headline was, doesn't the Queen deserve better than this baffling festive absence? So basically, it's a bunch of white men examining the impact of Harry and Meghan's decision not to spend Christmas with the royal family. How? Scandalous. What I'm getting at here is that the anti-blackness is very, very, very real. I don't think the fact that Meghan Markle is of mixed race and that she rece receives this level of slander by the media is like a mere coincidence. I mean, all of her activities are also discussed by a bunch of old white men on the news. So, you know, it's a lot of inherent bias that's going in right now and it has to be tackled. White supremacy runs very deep and I don't think there's anything wrong that she wanted to leave. But, you know, what, it's just, I think a lot of this uh, language that's used is set out to harm and has actually succeeded. I mean, if you, if you're listening, if you felt angry or feel angry about Megan, I suggest that you reflect and think where that bias is actually coming from. Why? Why do you hate her? Where is this stemming from? So yeah, think about that. Now, this week's show is called be forest too late. I know, very clever. So it's like, be forest too late, before it's too late. Anyway, so the show is all about the climate crisis and how certain individuals are changing the way we look at how to minimise the effects of climate change. I was very, very lucky to sit down with Eduardo Malta. He is from the NGO called the Zingu Seed Network in Brazil. And I've actually kind of been following for a while now, but they are incredible. And uh, they're actually the largest rainforest restoration project in the world. So they're restoring parts of the Amazon rainforest that have been destroyed due to deforestation, due to fires. And I first came across them during uh, that David Attenborough episode 
uh, with like Perfect Planet, and I think it was called Humans, and he actually sheds light on their incredible reforestation efforts. It also highlights the importance of our Earth's real environmental superheroes, the indigenous community, who play a massive role in helping to restore the ecosystem um, that they so love, and they have so much knowledge that they contribute to this. So the community collects seeds, thousands and thousands of different seeds from different trees that like eventually form a super mix of the trees from the Amazon, which is enough to kind of restart an ecosystem and they distribute this all over the devoid areas. So Eduardo and I explore this a little bit more in our chat later in the episode, so stay tuned for that. I'm also going to be talking about climate change myths because it's come to my attention that a lot of people still don't believe that climate change is a thing. Ooh, I mean, so I'm just going to be talking about what's going on, how we can help, and it's going to be really, really cool. So empty your bladders, buckle down, it's going to be fun. Aside from that, we also have our segment that I started last week and it's called Flirtation Frustration, which got so many entries this week again. Must I, I must say, thank you very much. They were all so cringy. I love it. <laughs> um, also, next week is a very, very special show for me. Uh, I'm yet to actually release the information for it, but I've been working on the content for a while now. And I was very privileged to be asked to showcase uh, the Miller Extract at the University of Nottingham's very first diversity festival. It's the first diversity festival and it starts this week, I think on the 8th, maybe? Yeah. And I'm so, so excited for you guys to actually hear the episode. And it's going to be amazing, I hope. So don't forget that. <laughs> so here I am, live in my bedroom at Dunkirk once again, uh, at the Miller Extract where I will try to challenge many socially pressing and relevant issues that aren't really talked about much. And as I'm broadcasting from home, please do excuse background noises such as farts, crinkle pops, and all that jazz, onomatopoeia, crisps, I don't know, in the background. And uh, as usual, this episode will have some good music, uncontainable weirdness, and here's a song that I love to, to kick off this episode. It's called I Need You by John Batiste. Enjoy.
And that was John Batiste with I Need You. Welcome back. And uh, yeah, I love that song. I always listen to it. This is a lie, but I listen to it a lot. Um, and John Batiste is incredible. So if you don't listen to him, do it right now. Now, on to the topic of our show today. With the climate crisis becoming a hot topic in mainstream media, there's been a lot of confusion around what climate change actually is. So I'm going to attempt to clear up some of those myths, you know. And uh, if you want to hear more cool climate things and environmental debates, listen to URN's Eco-Frenzy radio show, which is on Saturdays at five to six. It's before mine. So definitely, definitely listen to them because they always have some really cool product reviews and some good puns and really good and useful information. So some people actually think that the Earth's climate has always changed. You know, they're probably like, oh, Nilla, but climate change, you know, has always changed. No. Well, over the course of the Earth's roughly 4.5 billion year history, the climate has changed a lot. I agree. And this is true. But the rapid warming we're seeing now can't be explained by the natural cycles of warming and cooling. The kinds of change that would normally happen over hundreds and thousands of years are happening in decades. So when people talk about climate change today, they actually mean anthropogenic or man-made climate change. Look at me with the fancy words. This is the warming of Earth's average temperature as a result of human activity, such as burning coal, gas and oil to produce energy, to fuel our homes and transport and cutting down trees and producing the food we eat. So look, right, global temperatures are rising. Sea levels are are rising too and there have been so many extreme weather events there's been shrinking ice sheets stuff breaking off antarctic shelves warming oceans glacial retreats and even decreased snow cover i don't know what more evidence someone could need we also have ocean acidification and coral bleaching which i actually saw firsthand and it was absolutely devastating uh, there's also shifting wildlife habituation and and more. Uh, in terms of the coral bleaching, I was in Australia and uh, I was diving with the fam uh, in the in the Great Barrier Reef, a uh, huge dream of mine. And we were at a shallower end, and um, I just like you know wandered off into the ocean. I wasn't looking down, and I kind of like swam over this massive kind of trench thing. And then suddenly I started feeling my knees just getting absolutely I don't know how to say it like charred and just. Uh, child may not be the good word but it just got really scratched up and cut cut up and I looked down and I'd stumbled upon what looked like a coral graveyard you know coral was completely white and lifeless and all these fish just had nowhere to go and it was devastating to see but yeah I was talking about this um in a show I did a while ago, actually, with uh, climate justice activist Noga Levy-Rappaport, who is the amazing force behind the London's climate strike. So if you want to hear more about this, check out the episode Global Warming, which was, I don't know, episode six or something. But yeah, some people even think that global warming isn't real as it's still cold outside. Bruh. The cold, a cold spell in winter is definitely not a valid reason to dismiss global warming Global warming is caused by the Earth's average temperature increase. So this is not only making heat waves and droughts more likely, but it's also causing changes to our natural climate systems. These changes are making extreme weather events and uh, they're getting more severe. So, for example, hurricanes and storms are becoming more intense 
and they're moving a lot slower. In the past, they took like uh, not that much time to die down, but now they're taking a longer time to die down. So that's not very nice. Another myth is that climate change is a future problem. Now, we're already seeing the devastating effects of climate change on global food supplies, increasing migration, conflict, disease and global instability. And this is only going to get worse if we don't act now. Man-made climate change is the biggest environmental crisis of our time and it threatens the future of the planet that we depend on for our survival and we're the last generation that can genuinely do something about it and that's freaking scary. <laughs> this is something I actually hear quite uh, often from people I know and it's that some... Uh, oh, sorry about that weird banging on the background. I think we're doing some building outside. But anyway, some of my uh, friends actually think that animals will adapt to climate change. I mean, yeah, it's not a myth. Darwin got that whole adaptation part right. Like, he's not wrong. But some plants and animals won't be able to adapt at all. To survive, plants and animals and birds are confronted with climate change. And uh, they have only two options, which is to move or to adapt. And there are several species that have already begun to adapt to climate change already. But increasingly, it's a different story for many. So given the speed of climate change, it's becoming impossible for many species to adapt quickly enough to keep up with their changing environment. And as habitats are destroyed by roads and cities and dams and mysterious power plants and all that jazz moving, becomes incredibly and increasingly difficult. For those who can't move or adapt, the future just doesn't look very positive. And that is also very scary. Hmm? I hope you agree with me. It's also commonly, um, it's a commonly held belief that renewable energy is very expensive. But this is not true. Solar power and onshore wind are the cheapest ways of generating electricity, meaning that the energy they produce is cheaper than using nuclear or gas or fossil fuels. So there's that. Now, I also read that um, many assume that polar bear numbers are increasing. And this is nice. You know, you want the polar bear numbers to decrease. I love polar bears. Polar bears are great. I love them. But this isn't the case, unfortunately. Climate change is the biggest threat faced by polar bears. The Arctic is warming roughly like twice as fast as the rest of the world, making sea ice to melt earlier and they form later each year, later and later and later. So this makes it more difficult for female polar bears to get onto land in late autumn to build their dens and even more difficult to get out to the sea when they need to feed their cubs. Their main source of prey, um, seals are also affected by climate change as they depend on the sea ice to raise their young. And this means that in some parts of the Arctic, polar bears are actually having to survive with less food than they did previously. Now, polar bear populations are predicted to decline by 30% by the middle of this century. And I realise that's a lot to take in, but it's the truth. It's happening and I know it sounds a bit depressing, but it doesn't have to be. You know, things are changing slowly, but they are. And um, I guess there is hope, like we could do a lot if we put our minds to it, even, you know, small changes in everyday life and living, uh, you know, using less plastic and honestly just taking your own bag to the supermarket and 
growing plants and feeding birds. I mean, I I don't know how much of an impact this does to the climate, but I got a bird feeder just to create a nice little ecosystem in my garden. Loads of birds are eating the feed and I'm very, very happy. <laughs> but yeah, just do your little part, man. It's not that hard. And uh, I think if all of us keep on pushing towards that change, then we can at least delay the effects of climate change because we can't stop it we're we're too effed now we can't stop it we're a bit late in that sense but it's not too late to improve the situation oh i forgot to mention so my pal david attenborough has a new show out called life and color and it's so good and i'm learning so so much i think i watched the first episode the other day it's all about birds and how they have these special cameras now um to see the world as birds and insects do, which I think is really, really cool. I mean, technology has advanced so much. Now, I know that was a lot to think about, but those are just things that we all need to know. And we need to spread this awareness because it's happening now. And on that note, here is another song I very much love. Enjoy.
flirtation, frustration, yay. Hello and welcome back. That was Rosalia and I love her. My friend Anna introduced me to her like at the end of, uh, well, at the beginning of second year. And uh, we both have this mutual obsession. She's incredible. You should listen to her music. And uh, yeah. Uh, Now, welcome back to another week of flirtation frustration. And uh, yeah, got some pretty cool entries this week. Uh, The first of which is, I have an expensive car. (laughs) That's it? That's the pickup line? Oh my God. Another one is, I scored zero to nine while playing my games yesterday because you're the only 10 I want. Oh, I want to. I can't tell if that's good or not, really. Um, another one is, did you know that your name, sorry, did you know that you have a stripper name? Honestly, was that supposed to make her like you? I, you know, I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I know people who have names like Jubilee or like Amber and, um, people have come up to them just being like oh my god you have such a you have such a um a stripper name let's have sex i'm like that's not how it works um (laughs) another one is um you would look like you would ruin my life i'm into that oh my god wonderful (laughs) um we got one which uh which i thought was actually pretty clever and it's uh hey you seem cool so this is on tinder right it's like hey you seem cool uh, and you're cute. What's your credit card number? Smooth operator right there. Um, this one, I thought, I've, I've seen this one many times and I think uh, it, it's, it's interesting. So it's like kind of like a riddle. So if Harrison, Dan, Adam and Jordan go to the movies, Harrison must sit next to Dan no matter what. Dan cannot sit next to Jordan. Adam must sit on Dan's right. And if Jordan sits on the aisle, there must be one seat between Jordan and Harrison. So if Jordan sits on the aisle, would you sit on my face? Now, I was never good at word problems. And I did the UCAT, okay? Like, decision-making section was so hard. It took me ages to get the hang of it. Um, But yeah, this is an interesting one. (laughs) I would enter you like the plague. Please stay away, man. Stay away. Um... Uh, but yeah, that's all the, the pickup lines we've got this week. And uh, thank you so much for those who sent them in. I think they're great. And I'm sorry that you actually had to come across them. Um, but yeah, on to our next bit of the show today. We have a wonderful conversation with Eduardo Malta from the Zingu Seed Network. And I'm really excited to be talking to him about reforestation and how they started the network and all about the indigenous community's importance, etc. So yeah, thank you for listening. And uh, here's a Tamil song, which I absolutely love by Ile Raja. I hope you enjoy. And uh, yeah. Yeah. 
That was Ilaraja with And We Had a Talk, and this is from one of his independent albums called How to Name It, which came out I don't know when, a while ago, but it's incredible. So much, oh my gosh, it's like a fusion of Carnatic music with Western music. That's Bucks music, also to me known as the Antiques Roadshow theme song. Um, but he he idolizes Buck, and I absolutely love that piece, and I hope you did too. So, without further ado, here is our wonderful guest.
Okay. So thank you so much, Eduardo, for joining me today. Uh, first of all, how are you doing during all of this pandemic time? Oh, it's a very difficult time now uh, in Brazil. We have the, the worst period of the pandemics, and we have doing an effort to to keep the communities safe, the indigenous communities and other traditional communities. Definitely. We work with have, um, um, giving them uh, alcohol and masks and other mm -hmm. means, economic means to stay at home, stay in their families and not exposing themselves in the cities. And I know you have, um, you've been having good success in a lot of those communities keep safe until now mm -hmm. thank you yeah it's okay um i first came across the zingu seed network when i was watching uh, david attenborough's perfect planet series and i remember him you know there was a a bit in the episode where he was showing the incredible work that you guys do for those who don't know what is the zingu seed project and what inspired you guys to start this incredible restoration project i think it's the biggest restoration project um, to help uh, reforestation in the Amazon. So what inspired you guys to start this? Uh -huh. uh, we started in the early 2000s um, with the indigenous people of the Xingu River territories asking, the, uh, demanding that we take care of the rivers and, and water springs uh, that flows into the Shingo River because they was they were getting sick uh, of the water they were drinking and, and and the river were getting dirt and less fishes so a direct impact on their um, on their lives and their hope and they so um, we of uh, Instituto Socioambiental uh, an NGO working with those Indians, we started to talk with the farmers and governments, municipalities uh, surrounding the Shigu territory and the Shigu rivers mm -hmm. to, to talk about the water. And then the water is important for everybody. It's important also for the farmers, also for the cities, mm -hmm. and not, not only for the indigenous people. So we could uh, start a campaign was called Ikatu Shingo to recover the rivers, uh, the forests protecting rivers, out uh, mm -hmm. of the, the watershed. And then um, we started planting seedlings, which is the, the conventional mean. And then we learned with the indigenous people and, and not a lot of smallholders in the region, they, they used to plant trees in that region. By direct seeding seeds in the ground, so they, they jump the nurseries. They don't do nursery of seedlings. Mm -hmm. Just plant the seeds directly where they want the tree to grow. And then we learned with the farmers in the region, who are very good soil farmers, how to direct seed using their technology. And then we we started doing what we call muvuca de sementes. It's a, a, a mix of seeds, uh, carefully chosen for that ecosystem. It was to recover, 
and and where we 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 plant those seeds using different types of technologies and and then the the good results of those uh, restoration projects and uh, got us to to a huge demand for seeds mm -hmm. and then we started talking with the communities we were already uh, in contact uh, if they wanted to to act on that and to collect those seeds do all the producing job and delivering that for the projects and getting paid for for the native seeds they have yeah. protected for hundreds of years yeah i think that's incredible i mean your organization essentially collects these seeds from you know places where the amazon rainforest has been completely burnt and it's gone and um i mean in your opinion what impact does this climate crisis as well as human activity in brazil have on or what effect does it have on the destruction of the amazon rainforest it's uh, terrible that um, fires come stronger uh, every year and so the forests are more prone to, to, to get burned uh, with climate change, the, the dry seasons, droughts are, are, are extreme and, and that makes uh, a lot of degradation of native forests occurring and, and many times not being sensible for satellite images. Yeah. And, and also the, the, the crop areas also suffer because they have a lot of rain where they don't need rain and a lot of drought. Mm -hmm. It's not expected drought and, and it gets them to open new areas or new regions where they think they will be rid of those conditions and mm -hmm. then the and the problem goes after them <laughs> of course and so it's a, a catastrophic uh, line of <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's terrible it's terrible i mean uh, when i saw the pictures of the amazon rainforest burning down broke my heart like it was devastating to see um but the heart of your project involves the collection of seeds, as you were saying earlier. So what is the process of collecting seeds and distributing them to the damaged area? And how long does it take for, the, um, for you guys to collect them? And how do you successfully restore parts of the Amazon rainforest? What's that process like? Mm. So the, the work of collecting native seeds starts with uh, organized communities. So many times you have to uh, start the, the work with organizational uh, meetings and finding uh, functions, responsibilities, deals for those people to work together. And after you have a, a community organized for the production of something, and then you start talking about native seeds. Mm -hmm. and, and then they have a, a, a that's very easy for them because they live inside the native vegetation so they know a lot of the species and they are um, they are a good cultures so mm -hmm. they, they know how to collect seeds store seeds clean seeds they they know for the crop seeds 
the traditional crop seeds. So it's a, a lot of similarities with the native species seeds. And so there's a technical, of course, capacity, capacity building, seed production. And then we do a, 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 a survey in the beginning of the year. Right now we are doing that. Uh, what seeds each group can produce this year and how mm -hmm. much? Mm -hmm. So which each group uh, produce a list of species and kilos of seeds from species they wow. they can produce if there is a demand. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the Shingo Seed Network uh, gathers all those lists in one list and then go, uh, same time they, they're going after the, the possible buyers of those seeds, which are restoration projects of uh, business or NGOs or governments. And, and, and when they find those demand firm and they can contract it, or, or sign that on the contract, then they get back to the seed groups, seed collectors, and say, okay, so you can collect these and these, these species, yeah. these, these quantities. And, and then they start collecting. And by the end of the year, which begins the beginning of the rainy season, they, they, they're delivering all those seeds. And then there are uh, three uh, storage units, facilities, that we, where we we uh, analyze the quality of those seeds that are getting in and, and get all the information of how many uh, matrix trees that came from, which region, who collected that, when it was collected, mm -hmm. and get all that on a system, on a data bank, and the seeds get stored in those facilities and then they are delivered to the projects that demanded it. Wow. Uh, so it's an, an annual flow. Yeah. That's cool. I thought it was like, you know, monthly, monthly, people are uh, looking for the seeds, but it's nice that it's an annual process of spending the whole year collecting the seeds and then storing them, checking them for quality and then distributing them. I think that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's amazing. Um, so you talk very passionately about the role of the incredible indigenous community uh, who help with the restoration. How important is their role when it comes to restoring? Well, they, they really are the, the greatest protectors of what's left of native vegetation in Brazil. It's, it's very clear. Mm -hmm. When you look at the map, where, where there are the remnants where you can find the remnants of native vegetation, you will find communities inside and using that sustainably. And, and so they, they are the owners of the, what's left for us to, to restore the rest. And, and they, they really have the knowledge, many knowledge of those species, even from which, which animals, what animals eat, each root, Mm -hmm. and, and where it grows, where did this species like to grow, where it doesn't like, which light it needs, where when it comes in the yeah. forest succession. And so all those knowledge are very useful for us to 
to, to, to plan which mix of cities you're going to use in which area. I mean, speaking of animals, as you're saying, that um, the indigenous people know, you know, a, basically a better insight into what different wildlife species like and etc. When you guys do eventually restore the damaged land, how does it get rehabituated? Uh, I mean, does it occur naturally or do you guys help in reintroduce animals back into the rainforest? We, we, no, we, we just wait them to, to get them naturally. We plan, we plan restoration areas uh, to, for, to, to build corridors, ecological corridors, uh, so connecting on, on our restoration area with remnants on the surroundings. And, and we plant uh, fruit trees and diff many different native fruits that can attract different kinds of animals to create the habitat for those animals so that they can, they can come back. Um, yeah, that's what we do. There are other groups doing reintroduction, uh, but it's not on our, it's like the, 50 years from now from the project's very start. yeah definitely i mean it takes a while for trees to grow 100 uh, percent um now obviously there's been a lot of controversy with the government's disregard for the destruction of the amazon rainforests so what do you think governments across the world can do to put a pressure on the brazilian government uh, well, um you know, uh, the, they're already getting uh, a lot of external forces against the government because, uh, mainly because the, the, the barriers on exploitation of agricultural commodities. So, countries saying, we won't buy soy from Brazil if you cannot prove that you are working against illegal deforestation. Mm -hmm. that's, a, a, that's a strong message that government uh, have to swallow that and this the sector the agricultural sector screams here that government shouldn't be going that way and and and, and in fact uh, the, the majority of the farmers in brazil uh, are not evil people and they perhaps they've done illegal deforestation but they are really Recovery, they, they, they recognize the importance of the rivers and the fresh water on their farms for their activities, for their health and their families. And they, they love to fish in those rivers and camp alongside rivers. Mm -hmm. And so they have the city value for that too, and are eager to, to recover uh, if they, and are faster if they have the incentives for that. And, and actually, we're not getting giving any incentives. Actually, we're giving incentives for doing nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think it's a very important message to choose what you're going to buy and, and to make that clear for the government, for the sector, that that's the reason. And the government should um, create a system for monitoring and, and controlling yeah definitely i think it's a very uh, 
deep-rooted subject and probably take hours to unpack. Um, but, I mean, how optimistic are you that this damage already done to the rainforest can be reversed rather than slowed down? Obviously, um, the effects of the climate crisis, I mean, they're inevitable at this point. But uh, we can do things to... S- kind of reverse the process as you guys are doing with uh, replanting so how optimistic are you that um, these effects can be reversed if you look for the history of the last 500 years where um, all Europe was first uh, and, and, and then the other continents or better Brazil also started being deforested on a very illegal process of occupying and, and reclaiming that as, as property and then uh, in order to prove that is your property you should prove this deforestation mm-hmm. and and then the land that is worth more without the, the forest than with the forest so if you get a deforested, if you only own a land and, and cut all the trees, and then it it's, it's a big, has a much bigger value. Um, that's a big driver for deforestation, and I, I wouldn't see any hope for, uh. for <laughs> stopping that. Yeah. Uh, but my hope uh, is on doing uh, planting native trees, yes. Uh, but with, um, with a profit uh, for who is planting, for who owns the land. And that it could be economic activity of planting native trees and, and, and selling fruits or selling oils or, or leaves or um, wood, timber, a lot of products that the, the, the native vegetation already had. But the economic chain, the many economic chains are not um, ready. They're, they're, they're not, if you have fruits to sell, there is no one buying. And then in the market, nobody knows that fruit. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's no the technology for storage of the fruit. Uh, yeah. So, so the, the chains are not uh, ready for, for giving profit from native yeah. trees. I think this strategy is to to structure those economic chains who are linked to the native vegetations, mm-hmm. forest economy. Uh, and that is, I think, that's the main path that gives me hope. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because we don't usually hear about the native vegetation um, being, you know, so disregarded, which I completely agree. Like even very uh, fruits that I know people, other people don't seem to know or fruits that come Mm -hmm. from, I mean, my family is from India. We eat some fruits there. And then when I talk about eating them here, they're like, what? Do they exist? Mm -hmm. So I I completely understand. Um, I mean, I wish I could talk to you for longer, but unfortunately we have time restraints. So my last question to you is that as students, um, obviously there are so many of us and the rainforest impacts our youth. Um, how can we help minimize the effect of the climate crisis and help with the project? 
Well, I think you could give a class about that. <laughs> there are so many things about using less energy, buying less things, doing less things away, and choosing what you're going to buy, choosing what you're going to eat. Try to be more self-sustainable in what you need locally, mm-hmm. less things from far away. And, and, and of course, <laughs> And then I think it's the most difficult part is to, to, to share the profits. So very profitable business uh, should reinvest that money on society, uh, on the good for, for everybody. Uh, otherwise, there is no, no way our capital, capitalism would uh, change the, the, the path things are going. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eduardo, for coming on. I've I've learned a lot and I can't wait to see more about the Zingo Seed Network in the future. You guys are doing incredible things. So thank you again. And I'll have to say goodbye to you. Have a lovely mm-hmm. day. It was a lovely t- talk. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And you're welcome to talk to you again. Yes. Thank you.